Amen. Thank you, worship team. How many of y'all thank for our worship this morning? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I counted a great joy and privilege to preach this morning. Of course, I, I counted a great privilege and joy to preach every Sunday morning. We usually teach in the back with the children, and Miss Tracy's doing an awesome job with them this morning. But it is an honor to be able to come before you guys this morning. The pastor would entrust me with his pulpit. And this morning, I challenge you to believe that you are here on purpose. Amen? You're not here because it's Sunday, and you're not here because it's just the thing to do. You're not here because you just come every week. You're not here because you just drove by and said, hey, I think I'll stop in today. And you're not here because somebody may have begged or dragged you here. You're here on purpose. You're here because God has something for you. Amen? Amen. If we would, let's just do something real, real simple. We've talked about in the, at the beginning of offering about how we come expectantly and purposely ready to receive. And we say, yes, Lord, here I am, your servant. Speak. So let's try that this morning. Let's just lift our hands and shut our eyes and just pray that real, real quickly and quietly. Jesus, right now, I ask you to speak to me. Help me to hear your voice behind a man's voice. Amen. Because see, it's nothing to do with me. It's about what God wants to share with you this morning. You're here on purpose. God has something great for you. And that word purpose actually means it's the reason why something is done. It means intentional. Somebody say intentional. It means it meant to happen. It also means to achieve something. If we were going to bake a cake this morning, for instance, and we were going to, and I, I shared this in the first service, and I like, I don't know why, I can't switch it up. I like German chocolate cake. How many of y'all like German chocolate cake? If we were going to, yeah, that's good, man. It'll make me going to get some after, after lunch today, huh, at your house. But if we were going to make a German chocolate cake, we would get all the ingredients, and I'm not a chef. I have to follow a recipe. But if I was a chef and I knew what I was doing, I would just start pulling out all the ingredients that I need out of my pantry or my cupboard. I would lay them on the, on the counter, and I would begin to measure in a little bit of egg, flour, sugar, cocoa, coconut, all the stuff that goes into making that German chocolate cake, and I'm sure I've left some things out. But you'd mix it all together. You'd follow the direction. You'd put it in the oven at a certain temperature. You'd leave it for a certain amount of time. And when it was time to take it out, you'd pull it out and you would get an apple pie. What would you get? German chocolate cake because you chose the ingredients that went into making the cake. It was an intentional thing. It didn't accidentally happen. You didn't just open up the pantry, throw some garbage in the bowl and mix it and throw it in the oven and expect, hey, I'm going to get a cake out of this. No, you had to think about what you were putting into it. That's intentional. Now, look at this. This is an accident. Unless it was Black Friday at Walmart, they didn't park like this on purpose. This was a complete accident. This morning, you're not here on accident. You are not an accident. You are purposely here. God has a purpose for your life. Anybody know who this guy is? Steve Urkel from a show called Family Matters from the 80s and 90s. Sometimes I think you can still catch it on, the, on cable or whatever. I love the show. Grew up watching it. And what did he do? He went around everywhere and he had accidents, catastrophe, huge. And then what did he say? Who remembers what he said? Whoop, did I do that? <laughs> and he would snort. He was a geeky guy, and everywhere he went, catastrophes or accidents happened. He didn't mean to do them, but they still happened. 
I'm here this morning to tell you you were not an accident. You were not here on accident. You were here intentionally. God chose you. God chose the ingredients that went into making who you are. He chose the pigmentation of your skin. He chose your gender. He chose what city you would be born in. He chose what state you would live in. He chose who your mama was, your daddy was. He chose everything about you, everything that went into the makeup of who you are. He chose ahead of time and poured it into you. He ain't Steve Urkel making accidents say, what is this? He picked you ahead of time. He poured everything that you are into you before you were ever born. Amen? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. We are his achievement. Come on, right now, just get active and point to somebody and say, You are God's masterpiece. Come on, shake it up a little bit. Point to somebody and say, you are God's achievement. Now look back this way and take those fingers and point them at yourself and say, I am God's great achievement. Amen. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 5 in the New Living, it says, The Lord gave this message. I knew you before I formed you. In your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God says before you were born, before you were ever in your mother's womb, before your biological father and your biological mother ever got together, God knew you. He formed you. He had plans for you. Have you ever been expecting a child or expecting a grandbaby? What do you do when you know that baby's coming? Ooh, it's a boy. I can't wait to get him some guns. I can't wait to take them fishing, hunting, put them in Little League. Or if it's a girl, I can't wait to play Barbies. I can't wait to paint their toenails and put bows in their hair. You start making plans for them before they're ever born, before they ever give their first kick. Before you ever get to the doctor, you start making and dreaming of these plans. God has done that for you. You were planned out. You were sought out. He, the Bible says, we're about to read in a second, that there's a book in heaven. And he began to write out all the things about you before you were ever born. God has you here on purpose, for a purpose. Say amen. amen. The book of Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the plans I have for you. Now, a lot of these scriptures this morning, you've heard them a lot, which is great. But the word of God is alive. And if you allow it, it can be life unto you. For the word of God says the Logos becomes rainbow when the spirit of God breathes upon it. So receive the rainbow word this morning, the life word that he has. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. He's got the plans. He's got the purpose for your life. And I love the way the new King James puts it. It says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. In other words, God is thinking about you. He's on his throne thinking about you. The Lord Jesus is sitting beside the Father praying and pleading your case, thinking about you. You are constantly on his thoughts. We sang earlier, let your praise ever be on my lips. Our praise should be ever on our lips towards God because his thoughts and his, 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 his words are always towards us. He is close. He never runs away or runs out on you. He's thinking about you constantly. And he has a purpose for you. In the book of Proverbs chapter 16, it says, in verse 4, it says, The Lord has made everything for his own purpose. And in Psalms 57 verse 2, look what it says here. I cry out to the God most high. The psalmist is saying right here, I cry out to the God most high 
who will fulfill his purpose for me. He's not crying out to somebody else. He's not trying to find a person to help him find out his purpose. He says, I will cry out to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. You see, you are no different than the psalmist. You are created in God's image. God has a purpose for you. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care if it's your first time here. I don't care if you're young or old. God says there's a purpose just for you. He wants to bring something forth in your life. If you'll cry out unto him, he'll begin to show you. When you say, Lord, speak, he'll begin to open your ears and the God will begin to speak and he'll begin to show you exactly what your purpose is. Everyone's is different. Not everybody's purpose is the same, but everyone is essential and everyone is important because God chose you to be here. You know, years ago when when my little girls were, I say my little girls were a little smaller some of y'all that have been with us for a while remember, uh, we were actually over on Pine Grove, and my daughters are actually 20 and 18 now. I've got four children, two girls, two boys. But my two girls, when they were a little, about 8 and 10 years old, they wanted to sing a song in front of the church. And we, had, we used to have a night where people could come up and kind of just do a, uh, an improv night or whatever. And they chose to sing a song called I Am a Promise. And the reason I know the song so well is because they wore it out in the car practicing. But the song is awesome, and I really hadn't thought about it in years until it was putting this sermon together, and I love the lyrics. It says, you are a promise. You are a possibility. You are a promise with a capital P. You are a great big bundle of potentiality. And if you'll listen, you'll hear God's voice. And if you're trying, he will help you make the right choice. For you are promised to be anything that he wants you to be. You can go anywhere that he wants you to go. You can be anything that he wants you to be. You can climb the high mountain. You can cross the wide sea. You are a great big promise you see. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you are a promise. You need to stop comparing yourself with other people. You need to stop talking bad about yourself. You need to stop putting yourself down. You need to stop thinking those bad thoughts about yourself. For your creator only thinks Good thoughts about you. Pastor Russell on Wednesday night has been teaching us to tame our tongue. He's been teaching us on this last Wednesday to not let any corrupt communication come out of our mouth. we got to hold back that tongue. If we can't say something good, we don't say nothing. But the best thing to do is to take that word that you're getting this morning and you get it down in your heart and you begin to speak it over yourself and begin to believe what you don't, things you see in the mirror that you don't like, begin to speak into that. And God will begin to change the way you see things. Because guaranteed 100%, your loving Father doesn't see the negativity that you see. In Psalms 139, verse 13, it says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. In verse 15, it says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Nobody could see in there. There was no sonogram way back when the psalmist was writing this. God sees into the womb. He saw you before you were created. He saw you before you were formed. And as you were being formed, he was watching, and he was keeping up with everything that was going on before you even breathed your first breath. Verse 16, it says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God's keeping a record of your life because he's infinite. He's God. 
He's sovereign. He can do it. As we were singing, he is the great I am. He keeps a record of your life. You are important to God. You were here this morning on purpose because God is wanting you to know you were important to him. And there's some of you this morning that have been given up on things this week. You've given up on yourself. You've thrown up your hand and say, I can't do it anymore. God is saying it ain't time to give up. It's time to stand up and fight and to believe his purpose for your life. Hallelujah. In verse 17, it says, you're, you're precious. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. I mean, my goodness, how many thoughts is that? And they're not bad thoughts. They're good thoughts. He's thinking good thoughts. So many, he can't, you can't even count them. Have you ever been to the beach and tried to count grains of sand? It's impossible. He's thinking good thoughts about you. Stop believing the lies. Stop believing the trash. Stop believing the garbage. Begin to get a hold of what God's thinking about you. But yet God is so infinite. He is so sovereign. He is so great. He says he knows the very hairs upon our head and even the lack thereof. <laughs> you see, God truly loves you. And he has a perfect, purposeful plan for your life. And anything contrary to this is a lie. And we know where the lies come from, don't we? The lies come from the father of all lies, Satan. It says here in Scripture, it says he has always hated the truth. Satan hates you because the truth is only inside of you. He hates you because there's promise in you. He don't have promise. His destination is a pit of fire where he's going to burn for all eternity. Your destination is for heaven and for glory. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you'll come to him and surrender to him, I don't care if you're just sitting there saying, well, I'm a Christian and I come to church. No, there's something far greater than just coming to church on a Sunday morning. God's put something on the inside of you, something that maybe you haven't tapped into yet, that he he wants to begin to reveal to you. And if you'll cry and say, God, show me, show me. I don't know what it is. He says he'll answer. Do you trust him? Do you believe him this morning? But the father of all lies is always telling lies because that's what he's consistent. That's his, that's his character. He's a liar and the father of lies. Do we have any Matrix trilogy fans in the house? Anybody watch the Matrix? Some of you are like, I don't know what that jazz is. It's an awesome movie. I love it. But I won't give. I'm not going to try to explain the whole movie to you. We're going to show you a real quick clip. And when you see the clip, I want you to notice there's two men in the clip. There's one man in a suit and a tie, white shirt and glasses. He's the bad guy. Then there's another guy dressed all in black because black don't mean bad. It just means cool sometimes. But he's all in black too. He's got shades on. His name is Neo. And the bad guy's name is Agent Smith. And they're, they're about to have a confrontation. And the bad guy goes up to Neo, the good guy, and begins to tell him something about purpose. And he's about to start stealing something from him. Take a watch. As you well know, appearances can be deceiving, which brings me back to the reason why we're here. We're here because we're not free. There's no escaping reason, no denying purpose, because as we both know, without purpose, we would not exist. It is purpose that created us. Purpose that connects us. Purpose that pulls us, that guides, that drives us. It is purpose that defines us. Purpose that binds us. We are here because of you, Mr. Anderson. We're here to take from you what you tried to take from us. Purpose. 
over soon. How many want to sit there and say, okay, devil, just have your way? God gave me purpose and potential. Well, you know what? I give up. Take it. God wants you to fight back. He wants you to rise up and throw up your dukes and to fight and to give a left and to give a right. He wants you to keep your guard up and to fight. I was watching a boxing match last night. I, I thank God that the boxing's back on uh, NBC on Saturdays. I don't know if y'all watch it, but I like it. And I love to see them fight. You know, they don't ever put their guard down because the opposing boxer is looking for when the guard goes down, the blow's coming. You've got to keep your guard up in prayer. You have to keep your guard up by keeping the word on the inside. And we have to fight back and not allow that devil to take our purpose. In John 10, 10, it says the thief's purpose. Oh, the devil has a purpose too? Yes. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy your life. If you've been stolen from, if you feel like you're getting beat down, if you feel like somebody's trying to kill you, it is the devil. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But the flip side of that, which is so much better, is what Jesus says. He says, my purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. Jesus' intention, his intended plan for your life is to give you rich and satisfying life. If you're not fulfilling that, if you're not receiving that, if you're not enjoying that, then you're allowing the devil to reach in and take stuff from you. It's time to push him back. It's time to stand up and say, God, I want that life. I want that purpose. Give it to me. Amen? We know that in our lives, things don't always work out like we think they would. But it doesn't matter how bad your situation is this morning. There's still hope. There's still love. There's still faith. There's still forgiveness and healing and restoration to be had by you this morning. But it's up to you. If I think back to my own life, I never would have chosen myself to be a minister of the gospel. I was a, and I've kind of written these things out because I don't like to think about them too much. But I was a cheater and a liar. I was a vandalizer. I was a blasphemer and an adulterer. I was a coward. And I was a complete loser and a failure in the world's eyes. Or so I thought of myself at the time. And it was nothing to live for. But God saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. Till one day I felt the pull of his mercy. I felt the warmth of his love. I let go of all of my hate. I let go of all of my anger. I let go of all of my unforgiveness. And I accepted his forgiveness of all of my sin. I let go of my hurt and my pain, which is one of the hardest things to do. When you've been hurt by someone you love or you've been hurt and ridiculed, you've been humiliated, it's hard to let go of that. But I let go of that as well. And God began to heal. And the Lord became my Lord and my Savior. And I dared to believe that I could be something more than I was believing about myself. And it was that age, around 15 years old, I began to actually feel the call of God on my life. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it tells us that anyone who is in Christ is a new creature. The old things are, are done away with and all things have become new. In Colossians 2, chapter, 13, chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, it says, you were dead because of your sins. Because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave all of your sins. How many are thankful for what Jesus did upon the cross for you this morning? Hallelujah. It says he canceled the record of charges against you by nailing it to the cross. It was nailed through his, through his flesh, through his hands, through his feet. He did it for you. He canceled the things you did wrong. 
Now, we can give God glory for the things he's done wrong. We praise God. Thank you for saving me, for washing my past away. But we also need to be mindful of what Christ did when we think about intentional sin that comes every day. When we're tempted to do things, we know they're wrong, but we do them anyway. Be ever focused. Let that praise ever be on your lips. Never be focused upon Jesus and what he did for you. Jesus went, on the, went to the cross on purpose with you in his thoughts. He had you in his mind. He was thinking about you before you were ever created. He's been thinking about you your entire life. No matter how bad or how good your life's been, he's been thinking about you and keeping a record and crying out for the day you would receive him as Lord and Savior. And thank God for all of you that have. But he also says, I've got a purpose for you. I want you saved so you can come into my home one day. But while you're still on this earth, I've got something for you to do. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Who then will condemn us? Nobody. Because Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor pleading for us. He died for us. He was buried for us. He was raised to life for us as we celebrated last Sunday on Easter. And then he, as he ascended into heaven, he didn't just sit down and take a nap. He sat beside his place by his father. And he began to pray for us individually. It wasn't a mass prayer of bless the Christians, bless the people. Jesus, because he is God, can call your name out individually. Think about that a moment. He thinks about you. He prays for you. He, stays, he sits by the Father and he fights and pleads your case just for you. This morning, you might think you've done too much wrong. You may think, I'm a hypocrite. I know what I'm sitting here this morning and coming to church, and I've done this last night. I did this this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad your life is. There's still time for forgiveness. There's still time for mercy. If we look in the Scriptures and we look at all the great ones in Scripture that we have listed out, I'm going to list some out. Abraham, he was too old. Isaac was a daydream, according to the way we would see him in the natural. Jacob was a liar, and Leah was just ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Jonah ran away from God. Naomi was a widow. Peter denied Jesus. The disciples fell asleep. Martha, she worried about everything. The Samaritan woman that Jesus encountered had been married and divorced several times. Zacchaeus was too small and Paul was too religious. But yet he went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. How is all that possible? Because they asked Jesus to forgive them. They said, God, I messed up. Forgive me. And it wasn't a matter of I messed up, I'm sorry, not sorry. It was a matter of God, I truly for messed up. Please forgive me. I need your mercy. And God says when we call out for help, according to Romans 10, 13, that we receive the help that we cry out for. He's a good God. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with Christ this morning. He has a purpose for you. Now, I would love to say that when I got saved as a teenager that I stayed real close to God. And when I did get saved, I did get on fire for God for a season. We used to call it radically saved. And I got on fire for God. I went to my school. I lost all my natural friends. I began to witness to people and started prayer groups and and, and a lot of good things for God. But somewhere along the way of the age of 15 and 21, 22 years old, I got my priorities all mixed up. And I fell away. And I ain't proud of it, but that's what happened. 
Because God says that if we'll put him first in our life, he'll begin to add those good things to our life. If we'll delight ourselves in him, he'll give us the desires of our heart. But if you walk away, it don't work like that. But how I remember how he brought me back to a place of complete surrender. Because that's not me anymore. I actually remember thinking I was in a church service much like this one this morning. I was in a little church. And the minister was up preaching and giving a message. And I'd been coming to the church for quite some time. And as the minister was given given the word, I was receiving. I was hearing everything he had to say. But in my head, I was stubborn. And I was saying, I know that scripture. I know what you're saying. I've heard that before. I've shared that scripture. And I was hearing it in my head. But on the inside, I was like, there's no hope for me. But I've done too much bad. I felt so terrible about what I'd done. It was like, yeah, I believe I can receive forgiveness, but I can never be restored to a place of ministry. I can never be restored to a place where I feel like I can do something for God. And the man gave the, the minister gave the altar call, and I wanted to go forward, but I was too stubborn, and I stayed in my seat. And people came down, and he prayed for them, and they were saved. Lives were touched. And then the man, the minister closed up his book and finished it all. He was coming down off the, off the platform and something on the inside of me, me and my wife were sitting together. I couldn't even tell her what I was doing. I just had to run to the altar. Because all I could do was begin to weep. Because I knew that God was saying, Shane, this is it. This is it. Now. And I ran to the altar. And all I knew how to say was, I want to give my life back to Jesus. Pray with me. And we begin to pray. And God restored me that day. They had a men's meeting. A men's meeting the very next night. Felt like I needed to go. I told my wife, I had, we had plans that night. I said, I need to go to this men's meeting. And so I, I wound up going to this little men's meeting, and it was a small group, probably about eight men. And they were gathered, and they were sharing on different things. And at the close of the meeting, they said, does anybody have, need prayer? And everyone shared different prayer requests. And all I felt led to say was, pray for me because I know God wants me to do something. I just don't know what. So he prayed for me. The pastor prayed for me that day. We got finished praying, and I looked up. The minister caught eyes with me, and he intently looked me in the eyes, and he says, I'm going to do something right now that I've never done before. God's telling me to place you into the ministry. I backed up and said, honestly, I said, man, you don't understand. I'm still smoking cigarettes. There's bad language coming out of my mouth. I just gave my heart back to God yesterday. There's no way. He goes, I don't care about all that. We'll worry about that later. I'm going to do what God says to do. And he looked over at the youth ministry and said, can you use him in the youth ministry? And I'm sure the youth minister sitting there is like, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> but what's he going to say? The pastor asked him, so, yeah, sure, you know. And I went to help him on Wednesday night, and God began to do a work in my life. And I started doing ministry from that point forward and haven't walked backward. Now, after that, God had us there for a season. And when we left that little church, God had moved us on. And in my head, how many of you know you can mess things up if you try to do it on your own? I was thinking, okay, now i got to go to Bible college, and the only Bible college I knew of was in Baker, Louisiana, around Baton Rouge, and I was going to go to a big church there and sell my house and go find a different job and make less money and, and do whatever I had to do to go be in Bible college because that was the only way it could happen. But before we did that, we stopped in at Word of Grace. And when we visited Word of Grace, I told Pastor about what I just told you, those plans. And for whatever reason, I never left Word of Grace. Pastor told me later, because yeah, I heard all that, but I knew you were supposed to be here. Very first day he met me. I didn't right off the bat, but I began to know. And now I've been at the church for over 13 years. 
One day after about three years of serving in lay ministry, just volunteer ministry, pastor picks up the phone and gives me a call on my job and says, hey, are you ready to come on staff? Yes, sir, I'll give my two weeks notice today. I was ready. And then I was able to get licensed into the ministry before Bible college. Talk about blow my mind and my way of thinking. Serve in the ministry. And then we were able to have a Bible college here at the church for a season. So I was able to get my bachelor's in uh, ministry here at the church. And then just last year, pastor was able to lay his hands on me and ordain me in the ministry. It's not to brag on me, I promise you. It's to give glory to my God. It's to tell you that it doesn't matter how bad your life is this morning. I don't care what you're doing for a living. I don't care where your situ- what your situation is this morning. God says there's still hope for you. There's still something he has for you. If you'll just simply surrender to the call, if you'll give in to the pulling of the Holy Spirit, and you won't be stubborn, but say, God, here I am. I will take and receive anything that you want from me. Here I am, God. Have your way. He'll begin to do a work in your life. Don't think about it so much. Just do it. Because God wipes the slate clean. He forgets all the bad, but he remembers the good that you've done. Think about David and Rahab. We talked about him earlier. David, a murderer and an adulterer. But he's in the lineage of Christ. Rahab, a prostitute, she's in the lineage of Christ because they turned towards God and cried out for mercy and cried out for forgiveness. The word of God is very, very, very strong here. It says in Proverbs 24, 16, the godly may slip up or trip up seven times, but they will rise again. It don't matter how many times you've fallen. You can pick yourself back up, cry out for mercy, and go forward. In 1 John 1, 9, it tells us if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all our wickedness. In Psalms 103, 12, it says, he throws our sins as far as the east is from the west. He removes them. That means, and you've heard this illustration before, but if you go east, you'll never reach west. And if you go west, you'll never reach east. He throws them and forgets them. He remembers them no more. It doesn't matter how dirty, how nasty, how stinking thing you've done. He will wash it away and never remember it ever again if you'll call on him. Now each week, for the past 13 years, I've had the greatest privilege, as I said earlier, of being able to share and, and, and do children's ministry, able to lead children to the Lord. And this past Easter Sunday alone, we've had an altar full of kids that gave their lives to Jesus. It's an honor to be able to, to minister to young kids, to get them at a younger age. It's a lot easier to, to build them up and to teach them than try to repair them when they get older, as a lot of us know. I wish I would have had children's church when I was a kid. And in Children's Church, we just finished a series entitled Lean, Mean, Fighting Machine. We learn how to fight. I like to fight. I don't want to fight, but I like to learn things about fighting. It's interesting. I like boxing and stuff like that. And so we got this Lean, Mean, Fighting Machine. And when I looked it up, I was like, okay, what does Lean and Mean mean? I can't tell these kids to be mean. You know, you think, what did you learn? Brother Shane said to be mean. <laughs> really? No, 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 no. But, when you, but seriously, if you look up Lean and Mean... It actually means this. It means to be fit and ready for hard, efficient work. When a boxer is lean and mean, he is fit. You know, he's ripped. He's got his arms up, and he's ready to fight. He's ready for the challenge. I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to go toe-to-toe with somebody for 12 rounds. It just ain't going to happen. I'm not that fit physically. But I want to be fit that way spiritually. That when the enemy comes in, I can throw my hands up and I can fight. And when he throws something at me, I can push him back and I can fight back. 
Our kids have to learn to fight just like you learn to fight. We gave them a series of uh, fighting cards, these little bitty memory verse cards, and we told them to take them and put them on their bathroom mirror or by their bed or somewhere where they get dressed every day so they could see them. Because the Bible says that our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So they're to take that scripture, read it, get in their head, and then get it into their heart and begin to believe that about themselves and allow the spirit to work. So when the time of need arises, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will take that scripture bring it back to our memory so we can speak it out over our situation. The kids have to have it at a young age. They fight the same nasty devil that you fight. They need the word just like you need the word. Amen? We got to fight back. How many of know we got to fight back? I mean, we can't just sit there and buy into Satan's lies anymore. Take a watch. Somebody say, fight back. You see, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, which means they're not tangible. We don't pick up a sword and slice up people. We fight with the weapons that are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. When the devil's coming against you, against your loved ones, against your children, against your grandchildren, against your brothers, your sisters, like we did at the beginning of service when we lift up our brother in the hospital, we got to fight. we got to say, devil, take your hands off of me. you got to grab a hold of that nasty talent of the devil, push it back, and begin to put them hands up. And when he comes at you, give it all you got and take him out. Now, I would like to tell you that we could fight today and the fight's over for the rest of your life. That's not the truth. Our fight is every single day until the day God takes us home. We have to fight. Somebody, somebody say, I have to fight. I challenge you to get some of your own fighting cards. Whenever the, the word's being preached on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or you're at home and you're reading your devotion or you hear something on the radio or scripture, you see it on Facebook or whatever, write it down. Stick it on your bathroom mirror, wherever you get dressed in the morning. When I used to work at Frito-Lay, I was a salesman there. I had a big truck I drove. I took the cab of the truck, and I just plastered the whole inside with scriptures because I wanted the word on the inside of me. I wanted to see it. There were certain, certain ones, certain scriptures that I needed. I wanted. You can do it. It's not hard. It's really, really easy. you got to get it in there because if you don't read it, You'll never learn it. You'll never know it. When the time arises, you'll have nothing to fight with. And all that's going to happen, he's going to say, I'm taking your purpose. But if you get that word on the inside and he tries to grab you, you can say, back off, Jack. And you can fight back. Hallelujah. You know, maybe today that you have some false beliefs about yourself or you're carrying around emotional hurts. Maybe situations in your life, failures and disappointments might haunt you. Things you've done, things that have happened. Maybe all you heard growing up was things that, that hurt you. 
And words do hurt. But the living, breathing word of God can heal and restore you if you allow it to. The only way to change the way we think about ourselves is by putting the word of God in our hearts, meditating on his promises, and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. You know, some of the scriptures that we shared in uh, the series of Lean, Mean, Fight Machine is James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Joshua 1, 9. This is my command. Be strong, courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Jesus says this in Matthew 28, 20. Be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And one of our favorites, most of you probably know, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's nothing impossible with God. But we have to keep our guard up and we have to fight to the finish. And whenever you're doing a fight and you're fighting off the enemy and you've won a battle, don't stay quiet about it. Share it with somebody. Tell somebody. Maybe you've gone through an emotional hurt right now and, you, and, and you're going through the week or you've, you've gone through it before and God's healed you and restored you in some area. Maybe you were addicted to something and God delivered you. Maybe you were, you were just in a bad state and God saved you and set you free. Don't keep that to yourself. Begin to share that with somebody because when you begin to share from your wounds and you begin to share from your experiences and you begin to share about the challenge that you faced and you said it was impossible but God stepped in and gave me the strength and I pushed the enemy back and I won a battle, when you begin to share that with somebody, you'll begin to minister to their life. You will begin to save souls. And the word of God says, he who saves souls is wise. Share your testimony. In Revelation 12, 11, it says we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, by the word of God and by sharing that word with other people. Get out there and share that word. Get out there and speak what God's done in your life. I'm not talking about sharing all your dirty laundry. I'm talking about things you can share. Let them know what's going on. Let them know what God's done for you. Don't keep it quiet. Shout it from the rooftops. Go out and tell everybody. Send it out on Facebook. Send it out in a mass text. Tell somebody in Walmart before you leave. Do it. Have that purpose. You're there for a purpose. You're there for a reason. In 1 Corinthians 9, 26, it says, I run with purpose in every step. Every day of our lives, our guard is up, and we're running, and we're fighting. We're not just shadow boxing. We're not just punching shadows. We're pushing back demons. We're pushing back mindsets. We're pushing back thoughts and things that, are not a, that go against the word of God every day. Some of you this morning, according to Galatians 5, 7, you are running the race so well. It says, who held you back from following the truth? It surely was not Jesus. He's not the one that holds you back. His purpose has always been the same. In Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, it tells us, for God's gift and his call can never be withdrawn. Hear that this morning. If you've ever felt the pull of God on your life, if you've ever felt like I'm supposed to do something for God, if you've ever felt like there's something more to my life, know that God says he gave the call, he gave the purpose. It was there before you were ever created. He never took it back. The devil's trying to take it. It's time to kick him in the head and take it back and believe the word of God. So what is your purpose this morning? Today, let God begin to show you. As we said this morning, you're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not something unplanned. And don't compare yourself with others either, either how good you are 
or how bad. Your purpose is not what someone else's purpose is. You were created individually by God. You were God's great achievement. Today, more than anything else, know that God has a plan and purpose individually for your life and that he loves you. And if we've fallen away, God is sovereign. If we'll repent and ask him to forgive us, he'll wipe away our past. Now, this morning you might say, well, I come to church all the time and I've been, I'm this denomination or I'm that denomination and I've been in church since I was a little bitty kid and that's all I know. But God tells us in Isaiah 64, 6 that we're all infected with the same impure sin. And when we try to display the righteous things we've done, our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. They're nothing to him. It took the blood to wash us clean. It says, like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Oh, but I love what it says, and we sang about it this morning. Isaiah 118, come now, the Lord says. No matter how far, far you've fallen away, no matter how much you've given up on yourself, he says, if you come to him, I will make you white as snow. If you'll confess your sin to me, he'll wash them away and make them as white as snow, no matter how bad they are. Though they're red like crimson, I will make them as wool. And then I love what it says here, and we shared it earlier, and here it is again. In Psalms 57, 2, it says, I will cry out to God most high, who will fulfill his purpose for my life. I'm going to ask you quietly, we're still early. I'm going to ask you not to move around or to go to the back door or go to the restroom or try to get to your car first or go get your kid first. If you could, just for a moment, if everybody just bow their head. Just shut your eyes. And we're just going to pray this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in this place. Because you see, this word was not a word that was man-made. This isn't a word that was conjured up somewhere. This is a life word that God has given this morning. If you allow the Holy Spirit to move this morning and have his way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just listen. It says... So there's, you know, there's someone, someone here today that needs to receive Jesus' forgiveness. You need to ask him to be your Lord and your closest friend for the first time. There's someone here today who needs to return to his first love because you've had your priorities mixed up too. Some need to be reminded that you have a purpose. And there's someone here today on the outward appearance, it would seem you have it all together. But you were dying on the inside and you have no peace. God wants to grant you that peace this morning. And there's someone here today. You've got a calling of God upon your life. But like Jonah, you've been running away from that call. God says it's not too late. And he's calling your name this morning. Hear your name being called by your Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. If you're here this morning and you would say, number one, I've never asked Jesus into my life. I don't remember the day I asked Jesus into my life. I can't remember the day I did that. And today I want to ask Jesus into my heart and to be my Lord and my Savior and my friend. If that's you, I ask you just to raise your hand really high. Just raise your hand really high across this room. Thank you, Jesus. 
Maybe this morning you're there and you're saying, I'm a Christian and I love God and I've been serving Him. But I don't really know my purpose. And I want to know what God has for me. If that's you, just put your hand up and put it right back down. We're not going to call you up front. We're not going to embarrass you. It's not a spotlight on you. It's just between you and God. Come on, if that's you, surrender that to God. Let God know, yes, God, that's, I hear that. I hear you talking to me, God. Just lift it up and put it right back down. You've got purpose. And there's someone this morning. You've been running away from God. And there's a call of God upon your life. And you know God's speaking to you. God says, you can have that same call I've called you called before. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you. Just raise your hand and put it right back down. God bless you. If we could, let's just, let's just all place our hands upon our heart and pray this prayer together. Jesus, right now, I surrender fresh and anew unto you. Thank you for becoming and being my Lord and Savior. Thank you for washing up clean every sin and making me new. Thank you, Lord, for providing me with promise, with purpose. Help me to know my purpose and my call Thank you, Lord, for showing me what you have for me. It's in Jesus' name, amen. I just want to pray a prayer over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, everyone that received that word, Father God, this morning, I praise you, God, that you stir them this week. I praise you, remind them by the power of the Holy Spirit, those scriptures and that word. And you bring it back to their remembrance in time of need, oh God, that they are here on purpose for a reason. And begin to show them exactly what they're on this earth for, what you have for them to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And right before we dismiss, I want to share one quick thing. You know, one of the, some about purpose and one things you're on this earth for. My mother-in-law and father-in-law, they, uh, they've made it a point over the years to, to sow into my children. And what I mean by that is they give them money. Everybody likes to get money from your grandparents. But more than just money, they picked a couple holidays to celebrate where they gave them a special card, Easter and Valentine's Day. And each Easter and Valentine's Day, they'll get a card, and they handwrite something in it, and they put a little money in there, and they give it to my children. And, one, and they don't just give anything. They write something special. And one of the things they wrote was, Jesus loves you so much that he died and rose again so you could have life in him and always keep him as your first love and first being underlined. If I could have had that when I was a kid, maybe I wouldn't have went through the heartache that I went through. If you're a grandparent, if you're a parent, something as simple as this, writing a card, sending a note, a little phone call, a text to your grandchild, to your son, your brother, whoever, somebody maybe you don't get to stay in contact with very much, can make a life-changing difference. You have purpose. Come on, say it again really loud. Say, I have purpose. Come on, shout it out again. Say, I have purpose. Hallelujah.